Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Kathy Kay, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, July 10th, 2014. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are on page 91, the first full paragraph, beginning with Usually the Family Should. Today's readers are Nancy S. on the 12 Steps, Joanne L. on the 12 Traditions, and readers of the text include Katie F., Larry, and Anita L. The reference name for yesterday, Wednesday, July 9th, is 6627. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization. Uh, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Nancy S. to read the 12 steps. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you, everybody, for being here. Um, I'm Nancy S. from Wisconsin, a recovering compulsive overeater. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy S. And I will now ask 
Joanne L. to read the 12 Traditions. Press star 1 to unmute, Joanne. Okay. Joanne, are you there? Is there someone else who can read the 12 Traditions for us? Kathy, Kay, I can do that. This is, thank you, Melanie. Go ahead. Hello, this is Melanie, Recover Compulsive Overeater in Oregon. The 12 Traditions. Number one, Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Yes. Thank you, Melanie C. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we are resuming our study of the big book on page 91, paragraph 2, and I 
we'll ask Katie F. to get us started. It's actually, I'm sorry, the first full paragraph, Katie, on page 91, and I ask you to read two paragraphs. Okay. Good morning. This is Katie F., a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. Usually, the family should not try to tell your story. When possible, avoid meeting a man through his family. Approach through a doctor or an institution is a better bet. If your man needs hospitalization, he should have it, but not forcibly unless he is violent. Let the doctor, if he will, tell him he has something in the way of a solution. When your man is better, the doctor might suggest a visit from you. Though you have talked with the family, leave them out of the first discussion. Under these conditions, your prospect will see he is under no pressure. He will feel he can deal with you without being nagged by his family. Call on him while he is still jittery. He may be more receptive when depressed. Um, and so, you know, this is not um, the typical way that uh, we meet newcomers today, but, um, and it's not the way that I came into the rooms, but it is very important that um, a newcomer knows and that I knew that when I came in, it was my decision. It was between me and God and that my family didn't have to have anything to do with it. And they didn't. Um, I came to OA initially uh, the very first time I went with my mother when I was 14. And then um, <clears throat> seven years later, after doing seven years of research and, and realizing uh, this was probably the only thing that would work for me, I came back and I came back completely on my own. I looked it up in the phone book. Um, you know, by that time I could drive myself somewhere and I went, didn't tell anybody where I was going. And it was very much me uh, seeking this recovery. Unfortunately, it took me six more years before I, I truly surrendered. And again, I did it completely on my own. I did not make this announcement to my family. I'm going back to OA or I'm, you know, trying this new way or anything. Um, and I have never had the sense that I have to share my um, fourth step with my mother. You know, that, um, that is the good news about this program. It's, it's Overeaters Anonymous. We um, get our recovery. We can recover because we can be honest with another person, and it's not our immediate family. Um, what this is talking about is uh, talking to a newcomer, um, and giving them that assurance that we have a solution, we have a way that works, and it's, and it's you and the newcomer. It is not anyone else. And, you know, so many of us are so enmeshed with our family that that is a very new concept. <laughs> um, it was for me, but it has worked well for a long time to, um, to keep perspective and to keep um, things uh, to have an unbiased um, help with my problems. And, you know, the food is down, but, but I'm still me. And I still, you know, look at things in a skewed way that only my sponsor and other recovered people can help me to work through. And, you know, trying to, uh, trying to do it with, you know, in a, as a group effort with my family would not work. 
and I'm very grateful for that. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, KDF. Who would like to share on what was read? This is Janice. Hi, Janice. Go ahead. Good morning to you, Kathy, and everyone in Vision for You. My name is Janice, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Yeah, the, these two paragraphs remind me of, you know, page 18. I'm just going to paraphrase that uh, psychiatrists, husbands, friends, they can do nothing, and they did nothing for me. Um, you know, it's only the X problem compulsive overeater would have a chance with me. Um with us because, first of all, the family, I know in my case, you know, there's usually a lot of resentment with family. So that's the last one I would listen to. And uh, usually with sponsees, those are the, the families on the resentment list. So that's not that great. And, you know, um, it says, you know, if he doesn't want to, you know, don't force him the pre- previous paragraph because, you see, this disease that I have, and, and most of us have here as a compulsive overeater, is no match. I am no match for this disease, you know. That's why nobody could ever force me. There's two things that I learned in the past that the sponsor cannot give me. One is the willingness. That has to come from me. And two is a higher power. Nobody, priest, rabbi, minister, cannot give me that. I have to find that myself. And so that the pain that I had through this disease to finally surrender was and still is, as I remember, the greatest motivator. I don't want that pain anymore. And I know if I pick up that bite, thank you, God, I know that allergy will start. I still have it after all this time. The allergy will start. So, um, and, you know, we don't have to twist anybody's arm. <laughs> There's plenty of still-suffering compulsive overeaters um, at our meetings, whether they're um, new or still-suffering. So um, they must hit their bottom first before we can help them along. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice. Who else would like to share on these paragraphs? This is Bella. Can I share? Yes, Bella. Go ahead, please. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Bella, and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Katie, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. When possible, avoid meeting a man through his family. Yes, it's such a strong sentence for me because before program, I didn't trust myself, and I knew that nobody is trusting me. And now, thank God that I am in the program, I learned to trust myself, and I learned that, you know, I can trust myself only because of one reason, because God is trusting me too. And if God, the the power of the whole entire world, is trusting me, so, oh, so there is a reason to trust myself. And yes, when I am welcoming a newcomer, you know, he comes to the, you know, that I believe with the same feeling, with the same situation that, you know, he doesn't trust himself, he doesn't believe in himself, and he, you know, all, he brings me up, all my character defects, that I am a people pleaser. So the first, the first welcome is, well, 
you are your own person. And yes, I trust you because what you are. Yes, I trust you that if you want and if you will, with God's help, you can do the same thing as I did. Yes, there is a solution for you. You are by your own. Yes, you can trust yourself. It's a, it's a, a wonderful feeling for a newcomer to, to start, oh, I can do it by myself. I deserve this respect. And yes, this is a wonderful feeling. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? Okay, uh, Larry, would you like to read the next paragraph, please? Thanks, Kathy. Uh, thanks for your service. Larry, recovered compostable reader from Chicago. See your man alone if possible. At first, engage in general considerate uh, conversation. After a while, turn the talk to some phase of drinking. Tell him enough about your drinking habits, symptoms, and experiences to encourage him to speak of himself. If he wishes to talk, let him do so. You will thus get a better idea of how you ought to proceed. If he's not communicative, give him a sketch of your drinking career up to the time he quit. But say nothing for the moment of how that was accomplished. If he's in a serious mood, dwell on the troubles liquor has caused you, being careful not to moralize or lecture. If his mood is light, tell him humorous stories of your escapades. Get him to tell some of his. You know, um, most for most of us, I think for me, you know, it was it was a difficult process early, early on, you know, conceding, you know, to myself that that I truly even had a problem that required, you know, some type of, of intervention beyond what I tried, the diets and the pills and the, you know, excessive exercise and all that nonsense. Uh, at least it was nonsense for me. Um, so, you know, um, to be approached, you know, I, I was scared to truly face that this disease had, you know, had me around the neck. You know, when working with others, I, I need to remember that, you know, remember the fear that I felt during those those early days when I was approached by someone in whom the problem had been solved. So when it says, you know, see your man alone if possible, that's, you know, you know, create some a bond that way. Um, that's worked well for me. You know, at first engage in general conversation. You know, keep it light. Um, this is not, you know, this is a process. And... God's in charge of this. So if I if Larry has his own agenda, then you know Larry's agenda might be, well, I gotta get this person, I gotta, I gotta, you know, I get the I got us. I gotta do this and I gotta get this person to do that. And that has never worked for me. And why is that? Because that is not you know, I'm I'm I have a God centered consciousness today and I had uh, when I first tried to approach people before, boy, I was on fire. I sure was. And I was going to get them through this. And I was going to pour all my, spill all my program, you know, beans on the table. That doesn't work. That doesn't work in program. And frankly, that doesn't work in any sort of uh, bonding communication, <laughs> you know. 
nobody wants to hear, you know, everything that I know, you know. So, um, so at first, engage in general conversation. After a while, turn to talk to some phase of drinking. You know, tell him enough about your drinking habits, symptoms, and experiences. Encourage him to speak to himself. You know, when I'm talking and lecturing and moralizing, that I, I'll tell you one thing, the other person isn't speaking. How could they get a word in edgewise? You know, that's a good reminder for me in, in working with others and how to approach people. I'm not in charge of their recovery process, even if they enter this program. You know, so what's the, what's the hurry there for me? We do it this too. Uh, I, I'm muted. Can you try one? Kathy, are you still there? Yes, I'm here, Larry. Uh, somehow I got muted. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, thanks so much, Kathy. I appreciate it. Um, so, uh, yeah. So I talk about you know, um, you know, my drinking habits. You know, I because I find that. You know, this is the best way to allow for that identification process to take root is to share mutual experiences. So for me, you know, I I, I can talk about going from, you know, one fast food restaurant uh, to the next, to the next, to the next. And I can can laugh about it. Am I laughing about it because, uh, because it wasn't serious? Oh, it was deadly serious. But when I keep it light like that, you know, the recovered people that I talk to today that have been around for a while, we can talk about those things. We don't regret the past. We can, you know, we're not afraid to talk about the way it used to be and, and laugh about it. We're, my goodness, we're so very grateful of where we are today that, that it's okay to talk about some of those things with each other. And so I'll, I'll talk to that person about my eating habits, the unmanageability of my life. You know, the fact that I, you know, if I was on a date, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't wait to leave, and they would never understand why if things were going well. I was on my way to the, to the, you know, to the fast food restaurant. Of course, I, you know, no one knew that except me. That was my dirty little secret, you know. Um, I can tell people about that because, you know what, what I found is most people can identify with stories like that, you know. And that, and so at this stage, I don't, you know, again, uh, if, you know, if, if someone began to lecture and moralize, you know, to me, um, that would come across like a parent, <laughs> you know, like a parent lecturing a child. That person's going to shut down. I know I always did. You know, when I talk to my, my child, I, you know, sometimes you're, you're going to do that, you know, uh, it's just natural, I guess. But, you know, that doesn't work well with me and my daughter, you know. It's much better. I found the result is much better when I'm just sharing and identifying doesn't mean that I don't hold her to certain expectations, but you know that so that I can learn from that to be of maximum service to my higher power, I need to create a bond of identification with that person, and what works you know wrapping up what works best for me is compassion 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 doesn't mean acceptance I don't have to come in there like a bull in a china shop that I tried that didn't work if it's working for someone else, God bless you know it doesn't work for me. Anyways, with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thanks, Larry. Who would like to share in this paragraph? Kim. Hi, Kim. Go ahead, please. 
Good morning, Kathy. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. I have to tell you, reading this chapter and living this chapter, wow, it's so different than the way I used to approach newcomers and meetings and handle beginners' meetings. So I'm going to um, bring out that sentence. Give him a sketch of your drinking career up to the time you quit, but say nothing for the moment of how that was accomplished. I had to look at what way, how did I give beginners meetings? How did I approach new people in meetings? I mean, I used to tell them about the fourth step and making amends and how they have to pray all day. And they're like, dude, I just need to lose 30 pounds. Can I have your food plan? You know, I had to realize what was I selling? You know, I'm not selling the 12 steps. What I'm selling is the need for the 12 steps. That's what we're talking about. So when they're saying this, let's think about how do we share in meetings? When we're calling newcomers on the phone, how are we talking to them? When we're giving beginners meetings, how are we talking to them? So it says here, give them a sketch of your drinking. So I looked up, what's the definition of a sketch? It's a preliminary drawing, giving the essential features without the details. You know, there's a difference between sharing in a meeting and giving a fifth step. And I used to give fifth steps in meetings. I would tell you all about the 12 years in Catholic school and what it was like to be the oldest of three kids and, and how my parents used to smother me and this guy broke up with me. I would eliminate 90% of the room. I'm not supposed to be giving all war stories in meetings. How do I give them the essential features without the details? I talk about allergy of the body. Once I pick up that food, I cannot stop. And I give them examples of my eating that way. And I talk about the obsession of the mind. Even when I was abstinent, even when I was following that diet to the T, how I was restless, I was irritable, I was discontent, until I had that first bite. So it's saying, you say nothing to the moment of how that was accomplished, how I stopped eating. So I'm going to talk problem, 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 problem. Beginners meetings now that I give them, all it is is the doctor's opinion. When I talk to a newcomer on the phone, all I talk about is allergy of the body, obsession of the mind. I keep it general because I don't want to give them a reason to identify out. If you didn't go through 12 years of Catholic school, why would you listen to the rest of what I have to say? If you didn't, weren't the oldest in your family and had parents that loved you too much but they smothered you, you're not going to listen to what I have to say. So I think it's essential. This is a great way. How do we, you know, are we staying after meetings and talking to that person, not just the newcomer, but what about the person who's returning for the third, the fourth, and the fifth time and has prejudices against these 12 steps, has prejudices against, I can't do this one more time. We talk to them about why it's necessary. We try to create that need. We're creating an urgency. We're creating anxiety. My job is to disturb someone. Because until I disturb someone, as I said in the prior paragraph, they're not going to be receptive. So I'm going to read that one more time. Give them a sketch of your drinking career up to the time you quit, but say nothing for the moment of how that was accomplished. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Who else would like to share? Hiya. I'm sorry, Kathy. This is Hiya. Oh, go ahead, Hiya. Thank you. Thanks, Kathy. Hi, everybody. This is Chaya, very grateful, recovered, compulsive eater and bulimic from Denver, Colorado, at the moment in Central Park of New York City. And I just had a brief thought um, from the last person who was speaking, 
and it just I just made a connection uh, between our 12th step and our 12th tradition. And um, I'll be brief because I think there's background noise here. But you know, we say principles before personalities. And essentially, what this paragraph is telling me is to keep is to share the principles, not my personality, meaning not all the gorgeous details of my particular situation, but to sketch a picture, you know, that 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 I can fit into. Uh, that my story fit into this model, just like your story will fit into this model. So I have to remember above all else to place principles above personalities when it comes to sharing um, you know, my experience, strength, and hope. And, and I've learned to stick really close to the book and uh, just, just share what the book says and, and follow the directions. Thanks. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks, Haya. Uh, this is Kathy. Uh, I'll take a moment to share. I'm a very compulsive overeater. And this paragraph uh, reminds me of how many times I've been um, at a restaurant with my scale. Um, and when I first started that practice, um, I dreaded people asking me, about my scale, whether it was a waiter, waitress, or someone I was um, sharing a meal with. And over time, I began to see that that was actually an opportunity for sharing uh, my experience, strength, and hope. And um, over the years, I can count several times when a question to me at a meal with my scale began a dialogue much like this is describing where um, I could give a brief sketch of uh, what had brought me to use my scale at each meal um, and, and just say enough to answer the question posed and in several cases, the person got very interested um, and wanted to hear more. Um, and uh, it's interesting to me to reflect on those experiences because my intention was not, I wasn't looking for a newcomer um, or a prospect, um, but the opportunity presented itself. Um, and it seems to me that in addition, to all the meetings that we go to, uh, if we are really aware of what our purpose is um, to carry the message, that there are countless opportunities that emerge um, just by taking our disciplines with us wherever we go. And with that, I'll pass. Is there anyone else who would like to share on this paragraph? This is Leia. Okay, I heard um, Leah, and who else? This Nancy from Wisconsin, Nancy S. Okay, Nancy, thank you. And was there one more? Okay, Leah, go ahead, please. Thanks so much, Kathy, for your service this morning. Um, a very important paragraph, you know, as they uh, share with us the technique of... Um, you know, 
of catching the fish. You know, I call it throwing out the bait. Um, meaning that, you know, you come together um, in some understanding. It says, tell them enough about your drinking habits, symptoms, and experiences to con- encourage him to speak of himself. So, you know, I, I look at it like putting the worm on the hook <laughs> and throwing you know, casting out the line and just, you know, sharing a little bit about my my history, um, you know, that, uh, you know, I had thousands of binges, I've eaten off the floor, I ate out of the garbage too, you know, yes, I too ate frozen or burnt food. You know, at this point, um, you know, I've I've gotten a sense of his history a little bit. Um, you know, he's hopefully or she has uh, spoken to me a little bit about their history. And once, you know, I hear the history, then I can share my experience um, related to that history, um, you know, and, and slowly reel them in, um, you know, that I came here also <laughs> um, because of, uh, you know, I couldn't... Uh, stop eating once I started, and once I had stopped, I couldn't stay stopped, you know, that I had stopped thousands of times. And by sharing the seriousness of my own personal experience, by relating the seriousness of my own experience in the throes of addiction, um, it's turning the screws. And I'm not forcing anything on them. I'm allowing the seriousness of their situation to start wrapping its talons tighter and tighter and tighter around their own neck. (laughs) So um, I don't have to force anything. All I'm doing is sharing what Dr. Bob called the language of the heart. Right? It's a language. It's a language because pain drives you here, and if you leave, pain will drive you back, hopefully. And, and that's exactly what's happening here is a very skilled technique where, and it's very tactful. It's not forcing anything. It's just, uh, you know, we're talking about a life here. So I'm trying to be considerate, understanding, compassionate, and tolerant. Um, but the reality is that I'm not living that way anymore. And when I say that I have been to this person, that I've been abstinent since January 19, 1987, there, you know, that says a couple things. That says that there, you know, this is, I no longer live that way. I no longer live in that madness and the mayhem. However, I used to. I used to live that way, and I came here because I did not want to die. And also because I did not want to live in the way I once lived. Because I lived in a way that was absent of quality of life. And that begins a language of understanding here. And I'll just take right from Dr. Bob, where he says, of far more importance was the fact that he was the first living human with whom I had ever talked, who knew what he was talking about in regard to alcoholism from actual experience. In other words, he talked my language. And that's, of course, in reference to his conversation with Bill. Now, Bill used to have a way of trying to, uh, you know, pull guys off of the bar stools by their shirt collar and scaring off his prospects in the process because 
<laughs> he was preaching and uh, teaching to them about, you know, God and spiritual awakening. And it was actually Dr. Silkworth who said, you know what, you've got the cart before the horse. Share with them about the obsession that condemns you to drink and about the physical sensitivity, the allergy of the body that condemns you to continue drinking once you start. That's what you got to share because that is what they can hold on to, and that'll break that tough ego. And the walls of defense mechanisms can begin to fall, and perhaps they will identify in. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. And Nancy S., please. Hi, thank you, um, and thank you for your service. Uh, we lost you, Nancy. Can you press star one? Nancy? Uh, Nancy, press star one to unmute. Okay, uh, we'll wait for Nancy to come back. Is there anyone else who'd like to share on this paragraph? Rabia. Go ahead, Rabia. Good morning, everyone. This is Rabia. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from New York, and always so wonderful to be on this line every morning. Uh, with everybody's strength and wisdom. And I have been in OA for three decades, and my uh, date of abstinence is March 5th, 2014. And my big book study began a month after that. And so for the first time in three and a half decades, I am a recovered compulsive overeater. I so joyfully shout to the rooftops. Um, and um, so so I need to keep this really simple because I this message is so precise and so clear, and I love it so much. I have a whole new design for living and speaking um, and being. And so... Um, well, all, all I need to talk about is my gift of desperation. Um, what, why, am I, why am I here? Be, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I was willing to go to any length and to do the work that needed to be done. And food and fat were my convinces. I was in yet another binge on my way back up the scale and so um, I go to three face-to-face OA meetings a week, and more than half the room is the still, God bless us all, sick and suffering, compulsive overeaters um, who are relying on the fellowship and now working the steps. And so, um, and many topics in the meetings are about um, the tools. So I get a two-minute share. That's my time at each meeting. And so my shares have totally changed. They're all about the doctor's opinion. And in two minutes, you know, I keep it very brief, but I always talk about the big book and the doctor's opinion. And so then 
when someone comes up to me after the meeting, you know, and wants to talk more, uh, I mean, all I need to ask them is, what's your gift of desperation for today? What what brought you to this meeting today? Where are you with your food today? And and even on this line, you know, what's the gift of desperation that has any one of us, especially the newcomers, up at a seven o'clock Eastern time meeting? Um, day after day after day, uh, and that's what kept me coming back to this meeting, and then I started hearing the solution, and then I started believing it that in the recovery and the recovered and, and working with others, you know, this 12-step. You know, I just want to say that it's on my Big Book Guide's 12th step that I'm here today, that that um, I came into this Big Book meeting on her guide, and and now I'm able to be a guide for others in the big book doing my 12th step. And on my 12th step, they're going to be able to work with others too. And and in six or seven short weeks, this whole process happens. And, and we get to this place of being recovered. And I need to keep it really simple. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Rabia. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? This is Hi, Janice. this is Nancy. Okay, I heard Janice and Nancy, and was there someone else? Okay, Janice, go ahead, please. Yes, thank you. Once more, just very briefly, Janice, recovered compulsive overeater. Yes, um, I, I believe it was said, but, you know, this is a skillful technique that we learn, and it took a long time for me to learn it, is to listen you know, to tell my story, you know, to make it comical, to make it very serious, but but there's going to be laughter in it, That to identify so that the, the newcomer or the still-suffering compulsive overeater can identify with me. That's the best thing. And, you know, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a lawyer, or, you know, and geez, they'll say, gee, she's like me. That's what I used to do. And that's what I do. And then I tell them how I am today. And they say, gee, and you, and you don't do that today? Like they really want to ask questions. And that's where we got them, see. And this is why it says in the preface, if we remember, that if you have a food problem and we tell our stories, like there's stories in the back of the book, we may get that newcomer or that still-suffering compulsive OBE to say, you know what? Yeah, I was like that. You know, I felt like that, just like you, you know, and perhaps, you know, when that happened to me, perhaps this program will work for me too. That's the motivating skill that we try because that's what we do. We don't say anything about spiritual. We just tell them our story for for, our, for them to identify with us, not to compare. They may say, well, I never did that. That's Okay. But you try to get something that they can't identify with. I think that's the purpose, you know, of the of this uh, particular beginning of um, helping somebody. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thanks, Janice. And Nancy, please go ahead. Thank you, Kathy, and thank you for your service. And sorry about earlier, I got booted off the line somehow and couldn't get back on. Um, I'm Nancy, compulsive overeater in Wisconsin, and. I know for myself, I try really hard just to speak from my heart and, you know, some of my experiences. What I was saying is, like, I haven't 
I'm working on my recovery. I've been in and out of OA, but didn't, you know, had never sponsored and, you know, didn't know how to work the program to get the recovery that I was seeking. But I can be a compassionate human being and just looking at the faces of people who are very new, like I remember the food fog and being, it took all my courage just to show up at a meeting and for me to absorb all that information and stuff was very overwhelming. So just speaking from the heart and getting the love and compassion and the acceptance that I found a place where I feel safe and I can talk about my eating and talk about, you know, my food issues. That was really important to me. And I know for other people, you know, you could tell on their face that it's just like they just feel the relief of feeling like, oh, my gosh, there's somebody else here who understands. Because I couldn't absorb all that info sometimes, like just, I know for so long it just carried me feeling the love and acceptance of the group and the other people that understood and had been where I was because I didn't know how to love and accept myself. I was constantly beating myself up and feeling ashamed and guilty and just to get that love and acceptance of somebody else who understood and had been there and they have a solution for me is what helped me and carried me when I couldn't do it myself. And I try to be very mindful when I'm, you know, because I don't know always the right thing to say, but I've learned that if I speak from my heart and from my true feelings, somehow it touches people because, you know, they'll nod in understanding or they'll come up to you after a meeting. So I do appreciate everything everybody has said. So thank you. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Nancy. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Yes, hi, I'm Pessy. Go ahead, Pessy. Hi, good morning. I'm Pessy, Compulsible Reader from New York. Um, I'm so grateful that I made this meeting today in the morning because usually this timing doesn't work for me. But um, unfortunately, I'm stuck in bed with a bad strep throat. So, I mean, it's I have the advantage of making this meeting. Um, I This whole reading and all the shares really inspired me. Um, I'm actually leaving tonight. I'm going upstate for a few weeks. And I was discussing this with a program member. I told her these people haven't seen me for over a year and I've lost a lot of weight and they're all going to be asking me and whatever. And she's like, Pessy, you might be the only copy of a big book they'll ever see. But she's like, you are the one, I mean, some people are compulsory readers and they need a program. I'm not going to pull them in, but I may be the copy and I may share from within my heart and just be very uh, vulnerable and uh, humbly just share my experience, strength, and hope. And I liked what I heard a lot about um, sharing from the past, how I got here, like what I've also been in the mess before. It's not like I'm just recovered and I forget about my whole history because I can get there tomorrow or tonight. I'm saying it's only one day at a time that I'm here and I'm working my program and with God's help, I can stay here. But it's when I talk to other people, I try to just be on their level and like share my extreme strength and hope. And that's what I basically got out of this meeting that um, I just share from my heart. 
and just I'm not going to be the one to put anyone into these rooms. If they need it, they're going to come in in God's timing. But I can definitely be an example and just share um, vulnerably and just um, share my experience. So with that, I'll pass. And I'm so grateful for the service um, that you're all doing by being here today. Thank you. Thank you, Patsy. Would anyone like else like Anita? I'm sorry. Suji. Who is that again? Uh, Suji. I hope I didn't speak up at the same time someone else did. Yeah, Sue, I heard you and I heard someone right before you. Who else? Anita. Anita. Okay, Anita and then Suji. Thank you. Go ahead, Anita. Hi, this is Anita Jay from Massachusetts, and um, I've been listening since January, um, listening to this meeting, and I walked through the doors in 1978. And you know what I realize is um, I I now know what I didn't know. I didn't know I didn't know it. I didn't know you could be recovered. What a word, recovered. Um, I recovered from smoking, a pack and a half, 32-year addiction, in 1986, but I never knew. And now I do know, and it was coming in and hearing the doctor's opinion in January, and February 4th is my abstinent day, and this is the message that I now want to pass on, and you know, I haven't qualified in one of those meetings with a three-month um, qualification, and now I'm booked for two. And I know that that's my message. With humor, I also have a lot of humor. I can tell it. I can tell it sad, or I can tell it glad. But it's all real. But the real message is that doctor's opinion. God bless him. That did it. That did it, two paragraphs at a time, and that is the message that I pray I will be able to tell, not beating people over the head. And um, I'm now I'm not saying recovered yet because I'm still making my amends. And what a healing process that is, the whole thing. And I thank you all so much. I have really, really uh, feel like a brand new person. It, just seeing the world in a new way. And um, I've seen the world for many, many years, but it's it's in a new way. Thank you all. Thank you, Anita. And Sue G., please go ahead. Hi, it's Sue G. from uh, Philadelphia area, happily recovered in the sense of I still work these steps. Um, I guess I I came in here in a somewhat different route from some people because we're all different. So so I came in as that low-bottom codependence I talked about before and uh, a relatively high-bottom addict, and that doesn't mean my problems are any different than anyone else's. But I really think of this. I, I, I love these several paragraphs we've read and how they really to some of the tenths that promises. And I think of that position of neutrality and the position of neutrality we're promised with our food and our addiction when we 
work these steps, and when we're on that tenth step, and we're continuing to take to make our amends, and there's a position of neutrality that's proposed here about our also accompanying codependency because we're all both uh, food dependents and we're codependents. That's that's the addiction picture. That's probably the human picture, and so um, I need to have a position of neutrality about my desire for power over others because that just doesn't work. And, and this is giving wonderful advice about that. So I, so the, again, we're at this place where we're looking for the support of the medical community and the religious community, et cetera, all of these, these people that have wisdom and we need that wisdom too. And we're saying, well, come, come to the person needs help through a position of neutrality. Don't, don't come through the family, which has been badgering the addict. We all know what that's like. We've been badgered. And the family loves us. And our families want to help us. But they're not neutral. And we're not neutral either when we approach things that way. So we need to strip it away, and as Dr. Bob said, uh, Bill W., keep it simple and and just approach the person from their position of need and think of what were we like. We were restless, irritable, and discontent. We get that way when we decide to turn the wrong way into our addiction, and surely we can understand that about another fellow sufferer. And we're isolated, and we're trying to solve our problems by ourselves. And we can't do that. And the way to reach a person who's feeling isolated is to say, hey, you know, I, I've i had these problems too, and I'm dealing with them now. There's no magic to it. It's, I'm dealing with them now. And the implication is, so can you. And as has been said a few days ago, that we're, we are necessary here. Our our function, as in the seventh step prayer, be useful to God and to others, is necessary, but it is not necessarily sufficient. So we need to be humble in our approach to the other person and just share something of our own experience and pray that that touches the other person. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Sue. Thank you to everyone who has shared. Um, it is now time to close our meeting. Um, we will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164 and follow that with the serenity prayer. Uh, Anita L., would you read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Sure. Hi, this is Anita L., a recovered compulsive overeater from Philadelphia. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right. And great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. 
Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.